Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phil Lisko. I am your special guest host, the Mother Superior, Mary St. James. <laughs> A perfect opening. Uh, with us today, uh, back again, is Stacey Traub to talk with us about Sister Act, uh, the Whoopi Goldberg uh, comedy that I... As I watched this the other day, it's on Disney Plus for those that uh, don't know. Um, I, I realized that apparently I'd seen this movie a bunch of times as a kid, and I just it, it's it's in my brain basically. The, the, especially the songs, like I was like, oh my god, I vividly remember these songs. Um, but Stacy, when I reached out to you, you gave me a list of movies, and this was one of them. And I'm mm-hmm. curious as to what your history is with Sister Act. My history is that I'd never seen it. <laughs> i swear to god you picked it because it's okay no i picked it because i know it's iconic and people reference it and i have friends sure um specifically some of my you know gay male friends who it is their favorite movie of all time and i texted my friend last night after i watched it and he's like immediately watch the next one don't even press pause. Go to the next one, you know. And then it, it got late, so I didn't I didn't get to watch the whole next one. But um, yeah. So I was people just people do think the second one is. There's a lot of people that tweeted at me and was like the second one was better than the first. Which okay, well is, I is didn't a, is a, that's a choice. I mean I don't know. That um, totally and I see you know it was pretty delightful. My my one big takeaway I had was that I believe that um, Natasha Leone based her poker face character on Whoopi in this 
in this movie. There are a lot of similarities. There are actually. Yeah, I guess I just didn't even really think about that. I mean, the the concept in and of itself of her hiding from criminals within a job that seems uh, ill-fitting. And just her like, you know, sassy, I don't give a shit attitude. And, yes. yes. You know, her lack sure. of fear. In also a way. true. I, yeah. So, Emily, you had seen Sister Act, correct? Well, Phil, oh. I saw Sister Act in the year 1992 in movie theaters. We did the, it, guys. The other movie I saw in theaters that Aladdin and Sister Act. I, and uh, I, it was like five, six weeks into the run, and it was still playing at the Roxy Cinema 5. might have been Cinema 3 at that time in Mitchell, South Dakota, because it was such a hit, and the people loved it. And we went and after church, and we went and saw it, and we all had a good time. My mom, who grew up Catholic and then um, converted to evangelical Christianity, really loved it. And, uh, you know, uh, the only note anybody in our family had was that it was too bad that at the end of the movie, Whoopi didn't get saved. So. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, I would argue she is saved. Yeah. She's, she's she, definitely she's like, person she's changed the by the experience. Yes. She definitely like has a closer relationship to some sort of divine, but she didn't sure. do the thing where she kneeled down and asked Jesus to oh. come into her heart, which is. The end of every Christian movie and Sister Act's box office would have fallen dramatically if she had done that. Yeah. But at the time, we were like, everybody's just like us. So therefore, that this movie right. would have been the biggest movie of all time if she had just, yeah. I do love that we have recorded, Emily, for 1992. I think we've recorded in the vicinity of around 40 episodes. Sounds right. And, and that we've <laughs> finally stumbled on the only other film you had seen from 1992 at the time in theaters. I, I mean, I did see some on video, but like later and like I sure. watched, say I'm, I'm team sister act two is better than sister act one. Yeah. I watched that on pay-per-view. I never saw that in theaters. I'm surprised they haven't forced Whoopi to do sister act three. But she's you know? talked about doing it. I mean, she, it's, yeah. I don't think she's against it. I think she's the feeling. First of all, she's, she was in the musical mm-hmm. uh, on Broadway um do you know anything about the musical emily I'm no i didn't i didn't take the time to to, to no, listen to no, it nor should no. you i just like i did with honeymoon in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> the team but the team behind sister act i mean it's like alan Menken and stuff but like i've never been as uh, like the fact that honeymoon in vegas was jason robert brown was why i but yeah sister act i was like eh, it's fine whatever I, what's so what's interesting is uh Whoopi is in the musical playing the Maggie Smith role if I'm not mistaken in the it, she did a handful of performances she did not sort of mm. do a run of it and she is t- the people have asked her about doing a sister act three she certainly doesn't seem opposed to it I think that either a good script hasn't come her way or she doesn't really act that much these days so she's probably like I don't know that she's all that you know it's interesting that the Whoopi role in the musical was originated by Patina Miller who's like one of the great stage performers of her generation but it's like before she becomes Patina Miller so I I wonder if that was part of her like rise to her current uh self also interesting that like so what I found interesting about this film for me personally is that like the first 45 minutes of it, I'd be lying if I felt I was really engaged. The movie comes to life once she takes over the choir. Yes. 
This was, and I was, because I always like, sorry, I, but I just yeah, always please. write down when major shit is happening. Mm -hmm. And so like at minute 15, she sees the killing. Yes. And at minute 30, she's shown her cell to yep. live in. Yep. And it isn't until, like you're saying, like minute 45, 45 that I'm like, shouldn't this have happened at minute 15? <laughs> Or well, 30? or at the very least, or 30. Yeah, yeah, it takes, I think it takes a little too long. It, I, I I think it's enjoying the fish out of waterness of it, right? Of like, we've got Whoopi and she's wearing a habit and like, you know, she's surrounded by nuns. Like, there's jokes here. But I think that ultimately they could have had their cake and eat it too, right? Like they could have had that fish out of water stuff and had those jokes and also pulled her into the choir a little bit faster. Because mm -hmm. once that happens and the movie ultimately becomes, I, I guess I never realized how much School of Rock is indebted to Sister Act uh, in the sense of like once conceptually we are in that mode, that's mm -hmm. when I'm locked into the movie and that's when it really starts working for me. So I, I I think it's interesting, and the second one has very little music in it. Like it's mostly, it, it doesn't have nearly as much music as I think right. this one has. It has. I mean, the thing about the second one is the last like thirty minutes is mm -hmm. like straight musical performance. Like they're in the competition. It's an episode of Glee, you know, without the like musical yeah. numbers scattered throughout, and like. Um, and the thing is, like, the reason to watch these movies is the musical performances, and the ones in the second movie are better because they've got like Lauren Hill. They've, they've got, got like, Hill, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, everything I remembered about this movie from seeing it in theaters in 1992, a thing that I did, <laughs> uh, was from the last like 45 minutes. Yes. yes. And I do think one thing that's interesting that maybe is hindering Sister Act Three getting made is. Catholicism does it has like it's weird it has a larger footprint now but people aren't as familiar with it like like jokes about nuns in 92 could like kill in a way they kind of can't now <laughs> yeah. but because like we have a very different cultural context for uh Christianity especially but but also Catholicism in particular now that it's become this like you know, it, it's it's a force of uh, that's pushing back against some things that uh, I think personally are great. <laughs> so it's it's interesting you bring that up because as I was watching it, I was thinking about uh, the two, I guess, most recent Damon Lindelof projects. The first being Watchmen, and the second being Mrs. Davis, which both have nuns as as primary characters, <laughs> and sort of this um, uh, unpacking or or sort of this. The, the way that he's using that imagery mm -hmm. um, speaks to what you're talking about, Emily, of like, well, the, the, you know, it doesn't have the same, it's just powerful in a different way now. The thing about Catholicism is it has an iconography that you can just like go to like that. <laughs> like probably like, I don't, I've, I've met like two nuns in my life and they were not wearing the habits, yeah. but I see the habit. I don't think I've, I've, I've maybe seen that once or twice in the wild in like an airport, but like, you see that habit and you're like, oh, that's a nun. And like, you just have all these things that <laughs> yes. come to mind in a way that like, even a person wearing a priest collar doesn't like trigger for you. Yeah. Well, also, you know, yeah, sorry, I just want to add like, you know, the Catholic church, you know, there's been some shit going on and it doesn't, I'm not saying it's canceled, but it's <laughs> you close. know, it, 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 it is, um, it's clearly fallible. So 
it doesn't they're like this reverence like mm -hmm. even at the end of the movie where like they're not going to shoot a nun you know again i think that would kind of still work today but it's a little bit it's certainly tainted yeah well, it's, so, it's yeah, also like the scene where they're performing this incredibly kind of anodyne musical number and a bunch of like street punks come in and are like, we're going to go to church yes. is a thing you can't do anymore. You know, we live in a world now where the vast majority of churches are failing, especially mainline Protestant. But like, there's a lot of these smaller Catholic parishes, like the one we see in this movie that just don't do as well anymore. Um, you know, even the evangelical mega churches that were so big 10 years ago are starting to lose membership. The Christianity in general, and like I'm, I'm a Christian. I go to church, but like I am a, I go to a very progressive denomination. My pastor's a lesbian. All of these things, like the Christianity in general, has been really harmed by the fact that its worst adherents are like the worst people on the planet. So right. it's, it's. I think that it, there's just a thing around. You can't do a movie like this anymore without turning off half the audience and you can't do it in a way that would appease the other half because you'd have to do the scene where we'll be like like witnesses to someone about the power of christ and like it just is a no-win proposition but they should still make sister act three it should just be a deconstruction of why christianity <laughs> is bad I, you know it is that. interesting too because i just recently rewatched um season two of fleabag for a patreon episode mm -hmm. and um that's another depiction of you know you you mentioned the the priest thing right and and how um what sort of initial reaction you would have to that and 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 the deconstruction of that within fleabag as well of you know the whole hot priest meme the whole sort of um i would argue that christianity is almost you know uh a side issue in that in that show right like it's i don't think that I don't think the Phoebe Waller bridge within the context of that show is saying all that much about Christianity. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, Emily. You do have a poster for the show behind you. So I'm assuming you have thoughts. <laughs> I don't, I think, I don't think that, um, I don't think it's saying anything about Christianity, but I think it's yeah. saying something about faith. I think I there is a thing that we have lost now that religious organizations are decentered, decentralized in basically all of, you're the european sphere and you know my, basically any country that is like above a certain economic level like now religion is either decentralized or it's become or if it's centralized it's like this horrifying force that's dragging people back toward some whatever um and but I do think that there is this thing. The reason I still go to church, I can't believe we're talking about this. Well, I mean, is, you had to imagine it's it would sister come act. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the reason I still go to church is this is after church. I'm not sure I believe in any of it, but after mm. church, like all these people get together and have coffee. It's the one place I still come into contact with. Like the thing I always talk is like, there's a lot of people who go there who are in their 80s. I don't normally hang out with people in their 80s, but like that's a place that I talk to them and get to know them and like hear their stories. Right. I think that when we got rid of those sorts of social organizations at the center of our communities, we created a situation where people kind of only talk to people exactly like them, which created yeah. these bubbles, which created a sense of, and this, honestly, this has happened within the church too. Evangelical megachurches are spaces to propagate 
you know, a white supremacist patriarchal agenda because that's the people who are there. It's all sort of sorted out and filtered out. So the thing that you see in Sister Act, which is this hub of the community that everybody kind of knows about and can pour into and is just starting to have financial trouble, like 30 years later, it's it's just it's gone, you know. And well, I think we've we've lost that. I don't know if like I think that getting rid of like Christianity as the center of our society is a good thing, but we did lose that social cohesion that I think we haven't quite figured out how to get back. I do think you know there's a montage in the middle of this film that I really kind of loved, and and maybe just because of how sort of idealistic and, and sort of uh, a fantasy, quite frankly, it is. But like them cleaning up the church and taking a car that was sort of you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And turning it into a jungle gym for kids and like, you know, helping the community and it gets on television and this, that and whatever. Um, it's a lovely notion. And it does feel like, to, to your point, Emily, it's sort of propagating the notion of what church and community could have been back in 1992 in terms of what they were hoping it could be for your community. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you had that sequence today in a movie, people would be like, are you your fucking mind? Like, Do you <laughs> think that that's... It, it, so, yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword. I think that that there is something lovely about that sequence, and yet at the same time, it does feel kind of woefully naive. Like one thing that my one thing that my church did in the when vaccinations were just starting to happen is they got a bunch of vaccines, and they provided them to people in the community with a heavy emphasis on unhoused people and people who were trans. And like, I helped sort of with that drive. If you put that in a movie, people would assume either A, you were lying or B, that you were like trying to whitewash Christianity in some way. And like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I struggle with this a lot because I'm like, you know what, that was a good thing. It did a lot of good in the world. And yet me talking about it sort of sounds like I'm trying to excuse all the bad stuff. People I don't even know who like live in fucking Alabama are doing, you know? Well, I think the movie, like I think Sister Act is... This is a podcast about Sister Act, by the way. It is a podcast about Sister Act. And I do think, but I ultimately think that, you know, one of the reasons that this movie works is that I think there's a fair amount of thought being put into the script. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, so... I learned something that I didn't know, which is that this movie was essentially um, Paul Rudnick wrote a script. Uh, Paul Rudnick of mm-hmm. Adam's Family Values, In and Out, a, a phenomenal comedic screenwriter, writes this script with, I guess, uh, Bette Midler was originally the person that was attached to the role. Um, and ultimately, she doesn't do it because she feared that her fans would not want to see her play a nun, whatever that means. Um, her Jewish fans? Her Jewish fans <laughs> might not want to see her play a nun. Um, Scott Rudin is producing it. It's 87. Yes, bad news. Don't don't like it. That was not then. a name I was excited to see. Yes, unfortunately. But he produces yeah. this. Uh, he's working with Paul Rudnick in 87 to make this movie with Bette Midler. Uh, it's brought to Disney. Um, eventually Whoopi Goldberg signs on and then there's a half a dozen screenwriters that are brought in to do passes on this script. Carrie Fisher, Nancy Myers being two significant names. And you do get the impression that like, there is a, there's a thoughtfulness to this script that I was surprised by. Right. Cause like, there's an obvious kind of Whoopi's a nun, right? Like that, that I, I get the jokes, right? Like it's all there for the taking. 
and yet there is sort of these subtle character arcs and conflicts that I appreciated about it. I think like the Maggie Smith character and her feeling outmoded, mm-hmm. um, you know, all these things there that I was like, this movie's a lot richer than I kind of expected and a lot kind of um, big hearted and like Whoopi is such a, like she just feels like a big hearted, always her performances are just larger than life. And she's such a loving personality just mm-hmm. so watchable in that way that the movie is just kind of bursting with all of that and it's funny because as i mentioned earlier you know the first 45 minutes i'm like this movie made 300 million dollars <laughs> like why did this movie do so well and then the back half i'm just like oh this thing is just once it's on rails and once it's like really in the pocket it, it's it's kind of i absolutely understand why it works and why people loved it as much as they did I think yeah. uh, I think three hundred million is literally just the poster. Like you right. see, this is the height of Whoopi, and you see her in the nun habit. It's like the height yeah. of Whoopi and like the declining power of nuns. But like the two <laughs> together, <laughs> a force worth reckoning with. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah it's you know it's so funny because I don't think I saw this in theaters. Maybe I did. I don't remember, but. You know, I first of all, let me give just a little bit of context so that people who have not seen Sister Act, when lively lounge singer Dolores Van Cartier, played by Whoopi Goldberg, sees her mobster beau, Vince the Rocket, played by Harvey Keitel, commit murder. She is relocated for her protection, set up in the guise of a nun in a California convent. Dolores proceeds to upend the quiet lives of the resident sisters in an effort to keep her out of trouble. They assign Dolores to the covens. Uh, convents that is uh, choir and ensemble that you soon turns into a vibrant and soulful act that gives widespread attention sister act opened on may 29th 1992 against lethal weapon 3 alien 3 far and away encino man and of course the mighty ducks it would go on to make uh 231 million dollars on a 31 million dollar budget uh it's got 75 percent on rotten tomatoes from critics 65 from audiences uh roger ebert gave the film two and a half stars and said the first time i saw the film's coming attractions which distract i roared with laughter and delight the second time i laughed again even the third time i smiled it's one of the great trailers unfortunately it's better directed than the movie the trailer has high energy and whammo punchlines the movie is uh, sort of low-key and contemplative and a little too thoughtful. Uh, he then goes on to talk about how he doesn't think the director was uh, well-suited for the material, which I guess it's kind of conventionally directed, but, you know, that's sort of what to expect from a touchstone comedy back in 1992. I mean, I think they knew they had Whoopi and they just kind of pointed the camera at her, but I, I, think I, I thought this, it was yeah. surprisingly good. I mean, I, I was really... um minus the length like the time it took before she started the choir like I just I well it's funny because Ebert's saying he's saying thoughtful as a negative yeah I know you know (laughs) and I'm like I I think those are the comedies that actually withstand the test you know like I can watch Tootsie today and still love it you know it, it I don't know that it's aged and maybe it's also because you know nuns are obviously like an archetype that come with certain you know like that hasn't you know nuns have not changed in a bit you know nuns are nuns kind of thing nuns are nuns so you know you're putting her in a situation that um I just think it it translated it translated really nicely, and I, I th- I think you don't quite need the um the scene where they go to like the nearby biker bar, 
But I do love the line at the end where the if guy this becomes a nun's bar. I'm out of here. Yeah, if this becomes a nun's bar, I'm out of here. Like that was great. And they yeah. ended the scene on a joke. Like, I don't know. I thought there's so many movies from then. I mean, hon- you know, Honeymoon in Vegas being one where you're watching it and cringing a little bit oh, at sure. the comedy. And I mean, yeah, like Whoopi Goldberg, it's going to be fish out of water. If she's going to she's going to do a joke, an inappropriate joke about sex or even mention the word sex, you're going to get a laugh because she can't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think uh, I do. This kind of makes me wonder about I, I want to talk about Whoopi for a sec, because I do think that Whoopi is kind of the secret sauce to this, because I do think that there is something kind of timeless about Whoopi Goldberg. And I, I say that in the best possible way. Like, I really do feel as though, for the most part, <clears throat> a lot of her films, or certainly her bigger films, have aged quite well because I feel as though she feels like the tip of the spear in a lot of ways. Like, I do think that the fact that and that there is a Black woman in this lead role, in this way... I think also opens the film up in so many interesting and wonderful ways too, because I think that Whoopi kind of broke through in so many ways Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, just race and who was open to her. And it felt like she just kind of has this lovely quality to her. I, I, you know, you know what I, sorry, can I just add one thing? I was thinking when I was watching is that I was like, do we have that person today? And then I kind of thought like Tiffany Haddish, Tiffany Haddish kind of has that quality sure. where, she you know, she, she can do a voice in the Lego movie. You know, she was Queen Winamadurana, sure. Durana, whatever. Sure. You know what I mean? She just. And then she could do After Party and she, I yeah. mean, like, yeah, yeah. She's just very likable and she's her own thing. Like, I don't think yes. anyone else is quite doing what Tiffany Haddish does. And I don't think anyone was doing what Whoopi was doing. She was Whoopi. Like, yeah, her there's a, there's persona a, is bigger than the character, and there's a groundedness to, like, part of Tiffany's thing is her backstory, right? Like, yes, her life and what you know that has obviously um, brought to her career. And I think with Whoopi, I mean, I think that a lot of people forget that her first role is basically the color purple. Mm. Like that, that is the thing that, that everyone sort of, that's what gets her obviously notoriety, um, which is slightly ironic because she's a stand-up comic, you know what I mean? And she's doing this role that is obviously uh, filled with trauma. And I mean, listen, we could talk about the color purple for hours. There's a whole lot to unpack there, but that's sort of the first thing she does. And then she immediately does Jumping Jack Flash, which is a big hit, um, you know, at this point in 92, she's coming off of an Academy Award winning performance in Ghost, um, a movie that I love, even though it's completely bonkers. And I I mean, makes. what are your thoughts on Ghost, Emily? You like Ghost? It's fine. Um, I, I, I haven't seen that since probably it came out, you know. You know when um, you're going to have to rewatch Ghost, Emily? When we do uh, our screen draft on Ghosts at the end uh, of this year. <laughs> You can't, everyone keeps telling me I'm doing this and I have yet to formally commit to it. I know that because you're all telling me I'm doing it, I, I will end you up did. doing it because I mean, you did, say, but whatever, that, that's neither here nor there. Um, what, if and when you decide to do uh, this ghost screen draft 
uh, you're gonna. It's weird. I would not have thought of that as a movie about ghosts, despite <laughs> the title. Literally, <laughs> literally, uh, literally. I'm just like, ghost movies are scary, and ghost is not particularly scary. Like, and and so I would not have thought of ghost as a movie about ghosts. Like that is literally true. I would not have watched that for this screen drafts that, that I, I may end up doing. That it. you may end up doing. Yeah. Uh, but it's you've got Ghost, which is obviously this gigantic hit. I mean, just a shockingly uh, successful film. Um, and then it's it's Soap Dish that she has a bit role in, which is a movie that I kind of like, but I have not watched since I was a kid. So I don't know how well it holds up. Then you've got Sister Act. She's also in The Player. She has a supporting role in The Player. We'll talk about that at some oh, point. So just a wonderful movie, and she's great in it. Um, yeah. Then she, then we've got the whole Made in America fiasco with Ted Danson, which you know was a whole thing that happens in '93 uh, when he thought it was a good idea to go blackface to something. Um, a, a moment in Ted Danson's career that we don't talk about nearly no. enough. But Somehow, they're dating yeah. weirdly. That's a weird couple, but they're dating for a while. And she does Six Rack Two also in '93. And then like she's got she, you know a million things. She's a voice in The Lion King. She's a, she's in Star Trek Generations. She's in Karina Karina. Boys on the side. I mean, she her career is crazy. She's doing if you look at her filmography, she's doing anywhere from three to six movies a year. Which know, I want to add crazy. is incredible for a woman who will not get on an airplane. Oh, she won't. She won't fly. She will not fly because we tried to have her. Oh wow! Some show I was yeah some show I was on we she, we were going to have her as guest star and we were going to have to get her a bus from New York to come out. Did we end up doing it? That's I can't remember. Crazy. She won't get on an airplane. She she's I I love her. I think she's great. I think she's just got a tremendous career and now she's on the view and i'm sure she's doing very well for herself i think i think that that we got to return to ted dance and we'll be please please go for it (laughs) how can we not i didn't mean to breeze past that i remember like he was like one of the guys in hollywood who was like he's been with his wife forever and i just looked that up and like he ended that marriage so he could be with Whoopi Goldberg they were together for like a year maybe 18 months Mm -hmm. then the Friars Club thing just like is you know such a such a terrible decision on everybody's part and uh then they break up and then he gets together with Mary Steenberg and and everyone forgets he hasn't been with her since the dawn of time because they've been together since 95 which is again almost 30 years almost the dawn of time so yeah yeah I I do think it's interesting because the the Friars Club thing comes up in uh, we did uh, Kenny and I for ninety nine uh, covered the uh, the documentary Get Bruce about uh, Bruce Valanche <laughs> and uh, there's a moment in there because Bruce was involved in that fiasco because Bruce and Whoopi and Ted sat down and like thought of this bit and thought that this was going to be funny for him to show up in blackface to the Friars Club and Whoopi in the documentary like eats crow and it's like this is a bad 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 idea we should never have done this i don't know why we thought this was a good idea i felt genuinely bad for ted i imagine it was probably one of the reasons that their relationship fell apart just in terms of like in the public eye like that they couldn't be together anymore or whatever like the whole thing was just it's also just a weird couple to begin with like these are two people that don't that i don't necessarily associate together like i but you know more power to them i'm glad that they found love for as brief as it was but it is just a fascinating moment in time um and all the people involved are all just like it was a bad idea we should never have done it but i want to talk for a second about 
So you mentioned this earlier, Emily, that like Whoopi's at sort of the peak of her powers as mm. Sister Act is coming out. Um, and Carrie Fisher, Whoopi hires Carrie Fisher to rewrite her dialogue. And it led to many sort of arguments with Disney. And apparently Carrie Fisher told Whoopi Goldberg, you're getting into a pissing contest with people who have actual dicks. And I do think that there's something interesting about Whoopi using her clout you know what I mean? Really sort of digging her heels in. And again, it really should be said, this is a black woman in 1992 who is really sort of using her clout and using her power as she should to make sure that this role is as good as it could be. And I, I think that that's amazing. Yeah. She's um, I think that she's like a, an electric performer i was i was just double checking this but like she broke through because mike nichols saw like her one woman show off 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 broadway and was like you are great i'm gonna make you a star brings her to broadway and she like becomes huge off that spielberg sees that is like i'm gonna put you in color purple like there was something really undeniable about her but i you know she she there is a thing about her that i think if you've ever seen that one woman show, which was recorded and put on HBO, like there's something really electric about her as a stage performer. And that's one reason I think she's really succeeded on the view is like, there's this connection she forms with Mm. people in a live situation that translates a bit in, in film, like translates, especially in her best movies. But I think there is something about her that is like, she would have been so well suited to just, you know, doing an endless string of, of, of Broadway shows. (laughs) I also feel like, you know, obviously Spielberg is incredibly well at at discovering people. He's done it many, many times in his career, and I'm sure will continue to do so. Um, she is luminescent in The Color Purple. Say what you mm-hmm. will about The Color Purple, but she lights up the screen, and you Can do... you remind me what year is The, co- the Color 85. Purple? 85. Okay, okay. Um, and she just... You... Spielberg understands that audiences love to discover someone, right? Like to see someone for the first time. And when you see her in that movie, he's, he is weaponizing that freshness and that excitement and that discovery of someone um, unseen before. But I agree with you, Emily, like she is, um, she's just incredibly watchable. Um, There is something so, uh, I don't know, effortless about it too. Like it doesn't feel like the view is a perfect example of that, of that Emily, of just sort of this, that, that she's a, an energy resource, right? Like this is just, she gives this off effortlessly. Um, and she's really lovely in this movie and funny in this movie. Um, I do wonder about like, if there was supposed to be a romance between her and the cop, mm. that they cut. Because I feel like there might have yeah, been. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, she is all those things, but there's kind of a lack of sexuality to her, which I think yeah. is interesting. Like, I think that's part of the... It's weird that she's dating Ted Danson, because you almost were like, I'm not sure who I would imagine her dating. Like, she I kind of... I kind of her Harvey Keitel. Is that weird? <laughs> yeah, but they never... You never saw them, like, touch each other. Yeah. You never yeah. see her kiss. Like... Yeah. And now when I'm thinking of my Tiffany Haddish thing, you don't, they treat, you know, Tiffany Haddish is treated similarly. I don't know that I've seen her in like a romantic. The card counter. I haven't seen it, but I think maybe her and Oscar Isaac have romance in that movie, but I haven't seen it. Maybe. 
but, but your, your point would be so. kind of like is almost above it you know yeah she is like i made in america yeah. is a rom-com like it a is. pretty classic rom-com i didn't know will smith was in that movie i just uh discovered that he's yeah. like her best friend <laughs> like that's sure. when will smith was just like he was playing the best friend part he's the, yeah. the the fast talking guy who helps her con her way into like figuring out that her sperm donor was uh, Ted Danson. So isn't also, I mean, jumping Jack flash is also kind of a romance. It's all off screen in the sense right. that like he's in the computer. And then at the end she meets him and they, I believe they kiss at the end of that film. Forgive right. me. Famously. We love when a romance is all off screen. Actually, I kind of <laughs> do. That was a joke. And then I was like, actually that's kind of good. when that I, happens. Sometimes it works. I also think it's the time. Cause I, I also really noted that, you do not see the murder that she witnesses at the beginning. You see the gun to the guy's head. You see a little blood on his cheek, but she walks in and it's all played off her expression. They never cut to even the dead body. And I was like, that's really, and I don't know if that's more um, about the time, about the rating that they wanted or about the fact that it's a comedy and it's just kind of a line that you won't, you won't cross. Um, but I just, I found that interesting. And I was like, I feel like today you'd see it. Oh, you'd absolutely see it today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there is a, I'm trying to think of like, quote unquote, the most sexual Whoopi Goldberg performances. And like the color purple <laughs> is kind of up there um, mm. in terms of uh, that her relationship with, um, forgive me, I can't remember the character's name um in the color purple which is a same-sex relationship uh is beautiful and right. and and I, I i certainly bought that um yeah i do wonder if this is also perhaps part of Whoopi's thing which is that she's just like maybe a she doesn't think that's what people want from her and b maybe she doesn't want to give it to them right like she's just like i'd prefer to keep this yeah know, for jokes and whatever i don't know um it's interesting to think about because i do think this movie seems to be like tiptoeing there like that cop seems to be into her and there does seem to be something going on there yeah uh, so i don't know if it was cut uh if there were scenes written or whatever but like there's an energy there um i also famous feel like Phil, yeah. famously once you're a nun you take a vow of chastity so even when she's undercover in witness protection yeah you still nun, have to yeah. yeah yeah no that's that's fair um something i learned that i love uh, is that Pedro Almodovar turned down the offer to direct this film. Oh, my um, God. What would that be? Oh, my God. That would I be would wild. I would love to see that movie. How <laughs> wild would that movie be? That'd be good. Uh, it would be one of the best movies ever made. Ever like, made. He yes. should He should do just a random American studio programmer. Almodovar... There's a, I, I was distract re- three. Come on. Yeah. 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 Here's the reason. This is the new reason. I don't think there's a sister act three is they can't get Pedro, but like, he's the holdout. Have you seen going my way uh, slash the bells of St. Mary's? Um, there are these movies from the forties came out two years in a row. Sister act and sister act two are kind of remakes of both of them. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like they have very similar plot structures, you know, um, going my way is about like a hip young priest who sings and comes to this parish and the older priest is like you i don't like your ways and your modern music 
And then it won Best Picture. It won like 70 Oscars. Oh, okay. People okay. loved it. Wow. Uh, and then the Bells of St. Mary's is even better. It's the, I'm, a, I'm a Sister Act 2 Bells of St. Mary's kind of gal. <laughs> and that's like, we have a struggling school in our community. Let's save it with music. So I think that the fact that's that so there lovely. was there was never a third movie in that trilogy means oh, that they fine. cannot complete the Sister Act trilogy. They don't know what they Because they don't know what, they they don't know what to do. Yeah. But Pedro. Pedro could come in and be like, what if this was like a weird, like sexual, like journey? And, you know, and we, we learned a lot about our mothers. That'd be great. Yes. That'd be, I would, I mean, if this, if, if Sister Act 3 was about Whoopi's not knowing she had a child or finding her long lost child or something on those Actually, actually Sister Act 3. Okay. We got it. So Whoopi has a daughter and the daughter's like, I am in trouble with the law. What do I do? And Whoopi's like, you gotta be a nun. And, uh, (laughs) Yeah. Then there's like a poignant mother-daughter relationship, yep. and it's about yeah. their, their problems on both sides. Almodovar, let's do this. Oh, my God. I, what I would give. I, I do think – I mean, the idea that he was even approached. In 1992, Almodovar is still in his early days of his career. Like, this isn't – I mean, this – what, like, women wow. on the verge of a nervous breakdown feels like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait. So, I just hmm. thought of what it is. Sister Act 3 is – It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Two nuns mm. have to go into hiding as strippers. You <laughs> oh, fucking flip, you flip it. it. You, flip you it. make very chaste women uh-huh. or a woman yeah. have mm-hmm. to be very body. I mean, Maggie Smith is still with us, right? I mean, there's nothing stopping. What if I? That. What if Maggie Smith was a stripper? That's <laughs> yes. Plot. We've got it. No, yeah. I was thinking that too. I was like, God, Maggie Smith has been old forever. <laughs> I thought that too. I was like, has she been this age for 50 years? No, because my nine-year-old walked in when I was watching and she's like, oh, that's the lady from Harry Potter. And I was like, oh. But wasn't she also on um, Downton Abbey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, yeah. Won, she won so many Emmys, for that. Emmys for that. She was, uh, she... when, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, she has to be like in her 90s then. She is. Uh, that's a very good question. Let's I feel like she's one of those people who started looking old at like right. 45. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like Max von Sydow. Okay. 88. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, she is. Yeah. She was also, she had a whole career as a young woman, right? Mm-hmm. Like there just seemed to be like a gap that happened. She was like a babe. And then she, she was, was old. There was like, <laughs> just like babe. One, one to the other. This yeah. is like. Prime of um, Miss Jean Brody is 69. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, she's young and beautiful in that. And, and then it's like, there's like a 10 year gap until California Suite in 78. And then she's just old. Like what I love, what I love about her as a woman 
as as seeing her as an aspirational figure is she sure. got to this point where she looked like she was 70 and she's probably in her early 50s and her career got better <laughs> everyone yeah. was like we want more of this we want you to do everything yeah like angela so, lansbury yeah god yes. rest her soul but god rest her soul you know yeah. she looked old from day one yeah it's it is yeah i mean i don't know enough about maggie smith's earlier career i should but i don't um, but it does feel as though I think the first time I probably remember seeing her is Hook when she plays uh, old Wendy. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's just always kind of old in my yes. brain. It's very weird you don't know much about Maggie Smith's early career when this is a Maggie Smith podcast. You it think is you strange. would have checked in on that. It yeah. is weird. Um, so the I church want to have Har- Maggie Smith. Harvey Keitel, <laughs> who is in two films in 1992, Sister Act and Bad Lieutenant, just to show the the breadth of Harvey Keitel's another career. church movie. <laughs> another yeah. church. Movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that has nuns as well. Uh-huh. Um, have you seen Bad Lieutenant, Emily? I don't think I have. I think I saw the other one. I think I saw the like yeah, Bad the Lieutenant. Port of, port of, port of, yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. In, in 1992, I am in undergrad film school. And I saw The Bad Lieutenant in a theater, did not see Sister Act, because I was a snob. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to go see Sister Act. I'm going to go see this edgy, you know. Listen, Bad Lieutenant's a weird movie, but I'm I'm excited to rewatch it. We walked up to the Roxy Cinema 3, and we were like, is it Sister Act or is it Bad Lieutenant? It's after church. (laughs) Gotta make a choice here. Yeah. Oh, so there, there were... Unbeknownst to me, I learned it, I learned this as I was doing some research for this film. There were two controversies with this film uh, and lawsuits with this film that I was unaware of. Uh, the first was that an actress um, sued uh, Disney, Whoopi Goldberg, Bette Midler, the production companies, and CAA. Um, a $200 million lawsuit in 93 claiming that they plagiarized her book, A Nun in the Closet. Um, ultimately, she argued that the script had been whatever. L- long story short... Um, basically, uh, the lawsuit was overturned, um, and she wasn't paid. Then there was another lawsuit in 2011, uh, a nun named Dolores, uh, yeah, Dolores Blakely filed a lawsuit against Disney and Sony claiming that the Harlem Street Nun, an autobiography she wrote in 87 was the basis for the film. She alleged that the movie executive expressed interest in the movie rights after she wrote a three page synopsis and believed that she was owed money. Uh, she drops the lawsuit in 2012 to serve a more robust lawsuit in 2012, asking for, wait for it, a billion dollars. <laughs> uh, she was not awarded any damages. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh it's just God. so rare that someone asks for a billion dollars in a lawsuit, but God bless her for trying. Yeah. Um, but then the New York Supreme Court dismissed the lawsuit. But I mean, it went to the Supreme Court of New York. That's 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 not nothing. But yeah, so you know, a little uh, a little uh, um, history lesson on Sister Act. Um, did I? I want to kind of the movie opens with this in 68 Dolores is a, a a young girl in a catholic school um she doesn't take her her studies seriously she embarrasses the the nun teachers what have you and then we have this match cut to her singing in Reno Nevada which is great um i do with Cheryl Lee Ralph by the way did you notice that yes she's one of the she's one of the singers and she which has a amazing. she has a bigger part in movie 2 she plays the no. mom oh. to uh to um 
uh, my God, Lauren Hill, right? Oh. Is she Lauren Hill's mom in the second one? I believe she is. Um, it is interesting that we have this backstory and then it's kind of never touched on again. Yeah. Which I kind of liked in a weird way because it kind of gave us, I'm not saying that they couldn't have underlined it more. They probably could have, but just knowing that she has this past and bringing that baggage to her being forced to live in this convent, I thought was an interesting choice. But what did you guys think of it? I mean, huh? I, oh, sorry. You want to go first? <laughs> no, go ahead, Stacey. Okay. Um, having not seen it, you know, I was like, oh, this is an interesting way to start the movie. And I thought the little, the girl was good. Like she had like a, like a a whoopee energy yes a smile a smirk that you know i was buying and i do think it adds it adds a weight it adds a guilt you know for whoopee who did not fit in that world and clearly rejected it to have to be dragged back into it i think Mm -hmm. it does add an extra layer that had she never dealt with religion or been a non-religious person altogether there wouldn't be a reverence for it she wouldn't care as much so i i I thought it was kind of a really smart smart thing and then just to admit something beyond idiotic so then when my friend said watch the next one i like i was talking to my daughter whatever and then i clicked on i thought i clicked on sister act two but i clicked on sister act one again and i (laughs) I I start texting my friend. I'm like, it starts the exact same way. (laughs) He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets better. Cause he meant the big, there's that big musical number. And I went all, I got all the way to, you know, them singing in Reno. And then I paused. I'm like, Oh, I'm watching watching it again. Well, like, (laughs) like, like Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, the sister act to duology continually revisits scenes from different perspectives to provide more, more information and and knowledge. Yeah. I, I, I guess what I liked about the opening is it's a little tropey. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate that, like that they kind of don't go back to the well later in the movie, right. That we don't have some speech of her being like, you know, some expositional scene with one of the nuns or whatever about how hard it was being at that Catholic school as a kid or whatever the case might be. Um, I like that it was just sort of a little bit of a basis for where we're going um, and where her character's heading. Um, I I mentioned this earlier, but there's something about Harvey Keitel and Whoopi Goldberg's energy as a couple that I was just sort of like, I'm kind of into this and I don't know how to explain it. And I, and it's there, I think it's more what I'm bringing to the scene in terms of like my knowledge of their filmographies and, and all of that, that just kind of made me go like, I'd watch a movie where Harvey Keitel and Whoopi Goldberg were dating. Like, I think, (laughs) I think that's interesting. Um, Let's let's do a show where they're like a couple. Let's just do a show where they've been married for like 40 years. They have like, three kids right. yeah and the kids all have to move back in because yeah. the economy something like that i mean yeah. if scenes from a marriage was them yes wow would have would have been would have been interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i want 
Uh, yeah, I would just want more Whoopi and I want more Harvey. That's, I yeah, guess, I agree, is, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Harvey Keitel to be specific. Yes, no, well, yes, you're gonna get to see lots of Harvey when we watch uh, Bad Lieutenant. Let me tell you, hell yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. every part of him, really, every part of him. Um, that is one I, thing I love about him is he will do a fucking movie like this, yeah, and then he'll do a thing where he just like has his dick out the piano, just, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's just like, and he is like, I just want to work on. I want to work with people I think are interesting. And that could be Whoopi Goldberg. That could be Jane Campion. You know, I want to work I, with I people that will let me show my sure. dick. I had a crush on him when he was in the piano, for sure. He is hot in that movie in a weird way. It's just, it was the idea of him. Yes. yes you know, yes, yes. That the, yeah. Yeah. That's kind that of a. That movie's amazing. But he, yeah. Harvey Keitel is, and then, I mean, uh, and then he does, uh, oh my God, why can't I think of the Kate Winslet? Um, movie that he does with jane campion holy smoke holy smoke right where he's deprogramming her but really she's programming him i don't know I didn't it's, it's a weird movie um but uh yeah i i think that part of um this first 45 minutes that certainly could have been cut down was this like he's she's his mistress and he gives her a coat that's his wife's and it's like mm-hmm. you know what i mean like their relationship stuff and the messiness of this sort of uh adulterous relationship that they have um it's fine but i don't need it like i could have got we could have got there faster yeah but you know this once we, like an once hour 45 there, when it could be an hour and a half the thing is is it's that thing about like once we got there yeah. and again because i hadn't seen it when they're singing my guy, but they're singing my God, my God, I literally wrote down, this is amazing. Like, I was like, yeah. this was a great idea. And I, and I did think, like, I remember Hunter walked through and said, they're not even, they just got to this part. Like, he, you know, <laughs> he had walked through several times yeah. and I was thinking if you did move it up, it wouldn't maybe have been as special mm. because if you mm-hmm. have too many songs. having worked on glee you know sometimes less is more you know and i do think that those moments that that um them singing that and then obviously the big one at the end for the pope really hit because you weren't tired of seeing them sing i agree with that i think if this movie was wall-to-wall music um to your point it wouldn't seem as special and i think also in terms of the arc of the nuns that are singing and how seeing um what is her name um geez forgive me uh um it's at the end mary Mary roberts right yeah mary roberts solo at the end of the movie gives me goosebumps every time i watch it and i know it's not her voice i know someone else she's lip syncing but still it's just what what Dolores has given yeah. Mary is just so special to your point that you would have had to stutter step that one or two times to have more songs that it might not have worked. Um, I, I absolutely agree with that. I also think that um, when she gets to the choir and there's the woman, the nun, and forgive me, Lazarus, Lady Lazarus, I believe is her name, um, is doing a terrible job running this this choir mm-hmm. and she kind of usurps her um they don't turn lady lazarus into a villain they don't turn her into someone who's 
you know, butthurt about it. In fact, she becomes her partner and she becomes even better for it. Again, this is kind of those nuances, those choices that were made by the numerous screenwriters that allowed this thing, I think, to really take flight. There's just easy choices that weren't made, which I appreciate. uh, The nuns are all really well differentiated, you know, and that adds, I think it's kind of hard to screw up fish out of water as long as you are not like denigrating a culture, which unfortunately a lot of time happens in those movies. But like the ones that really go beyond are the ones that like take pains to make the various like characters either in the old world or the new world, depending on where the fish is out of water relative to the audience, um, you know, make them feel uh, real. I agree. And And I also feel like, you know, um the director of this film um emil ardolino i believe is how you say it. forgive me i'm butchering that uh, the director of dirty dancing um directed this film and i think that something that is not that that certainly ebert doesn't give him nearly enough credence for is casting um this movie is incredibly well cast <laughs> and that's so much of directing is understanding personalities and all that kind of stuff. Mary Wickies, I believe is the woman who plays sister. Mary Lazarus is hilarious. Mm -hmm. She is, she nails every line that she has. Um, She's people are allowed to have faces in this movie too, where it's like, you're allowed to have these just, they feel like real people. I think of some of her delivery, um, Mary's delivery as Mary Lazarus. We can't leave this up to the feds. I think is incredible. (laughs) Um, She's just, she's just wonderful in it. And she's just got such a wonderful personality. Um, And seeing that as a director, I think is so important I, I know that so much of direction, or at least what we think direction is, is having an eye, a visual flair, you know, whatever the case might be. And that's certainly important, but um, letting your players do what they do and being the coach that understands how all those players can is, is incredibly important. And I think he does a great job at that in this movie. Obviously, like, I think the truly great directors have a really strong understanding of pacing and visuals and performance like to to return to to spielberg he's really good at all three you know and so that's why he's one of the greats but like i think that as critics as a former critic i think that critics often overvalue visual and undervalue occasionally they'll be good with like pacing if the editing is especially Mm -hmm. noticeable but they undervalue the degree to which a director is really good at getting performances Mm -hmm. like what that person can bring to a project we talked about mike nichols earlier i think he is an okay visual stylist there are some beautiful shots in all of his movies but what he's really good at is he's maybe the best actor's director who ever worked and like but he never quite got to the level as some of the as some of his peers and like obviously he made some duds so that's you know he made a movie about spy dolphins so like let's see he did (laughs) but like i i do think that critics often undervalue the ability of a director to get not just one great performance but an ensemble of great performances that then all fit together like that's hard it's really hard audiences under appreciate that if i'm being completely honest i i feel like it's so i 
I watched the most recent uh, season of Project Greenlight, which I don't know if you guys have watched, but uh, it's good TV and I highly recommend it, especially since we obviously work in this business. So Wait, is this recent? Is yeah. this a recent? Oh, I haven't seen it. I've it's, seen every uh, other. It's a whole reboot that's okay. uh, Issa Rae and um, Camille Nanjani are producing it. And okay. um, it's, it is interesting. Is it, where, um, where is does it? Does a woman actually get to Max. direct? Sorry. It's yes, on it's Max, a, it's the place for woman. HBO. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and um, I bring this up only to say that, you know, what's fascinating about that show as people that work in the industry is sort of um, it, it, the, the confluence of trying to make a good movie, but also making a good television show isn't of itself impossible, right? Like the way to make a good television show is to inherently make a bad movie is kind mm-hmm. of the problem that the show ultimately struggles with. But I bring this up only to say that, um, understanding how many things a director has to do right like a director isn't just one thing it isn't just um you know picking visuals right like actually directing actors physically going up to people and giving them you know various directions as to how to elicit a performance is i would argue fundamental and maybe 50 percent of the job is that and yet it's a thing that we don't even think about um well i i just want to add to that i agree yeah and especially in a comedy oh yeah it takes it's like you have to have such a gentle hand because the actor the characters cannot know they're in a comedy the characters think they're in a drama that's always like every moment is very important and real to them. And that's how, and I'm going to, I'm going to bring Barbie into this for one second. Cause I saw it Friday and I loved it. That's and every Barbie can, you know, all the characters in that movie were not in a comedy. They, this was their, this was their lives yeah. and it mattered. And that's why it was funny because you know, it was, it was the situations they were not, there was a few jokey jokes, which were amazing, but you know, I, that to me, that's always the key. No one's winking at the camera. You know, it is, it is just, this is, these are legitimate conflicts for these people. Well, I, it, it's, I'm glad you brought it up. Cause I think it's worth, um, I wanted to your, obviously say, so you work primarily in comedy, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. And the 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 disservice coming back to what you were saying emily about critics and this idea that if comedy is done well it feels effortless so people don't realize how fucking hard it is to do yeah. mm-hmm. so and and also i think that we love to laugh as people right i don't emily doesn't emily's not a funny person <laughs> um but i I think that we take it for granted, right? Like the the laughter and what that brings to us um, oddly feels less substantive. I put that in quotation marks as a drama, right? And I would, I, I think that we can all safely say that it's easier to make somebody cry than it is to make them laugh. Because I think we all know the buttons of sentimentality or things that we know will elicit dramatic mm-hmm. emotion from people making people laugh is incredibly difficult um 
which is why I think this movie, you know, in his review, Eber talks about how pedestrian the direction is. And it's like, if you're talking about fucking like camera angles or some shit, sure. But like having the know-how to let this play out and to see the jokes and to have that light of touch, I think in comedy is vitally important. I'm assuming you agree. I 100% agree. I, and also coming up in film school, like there was this idea of, I can't remember if I learned it when I was studying cinematography or just, you know, general like film courses. There's this idea of not, I'm trying to remember which cinematographer or director it was, but it's like, I don't, he didn't want people to notice the shots because if you're noticing the shots, you are remembering that you're watching a movie. Right. So that's why like, you know, sometimes I'll have like a shot where you're like inside a freezer and the character opens the door. Like you're very aware. Oh my God, they put the camera in the free. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I think again, there should be an effortlessness to it so that you just feel like you're there in yeah. the moment with these people. And I think it specifically helps for comedy because if you are constantly reminding people you're watching a movie, you're watching a movie, then you're just taken out of it. You're but, not pulling yeah. them in. I mean, I, I right. saw uh, Roger Deakins recently did a Q&A before Fargo that I saw at the Alamo a few months ago, and he said exactly that. Because someone asked, you know, what's your favorite, you know, uh, cinematography or, you know, photographed film? And he's like, listen, the first time you watch a movie, if you're noticing the cinematography, it's failed, right? Like, if you're watching a movie multiple times, then you're seeing, you know, then you're you're mm-hmm. watching it to see all the different pieces. Um, but, yeah, if you're noticing the cinematography right off the bat – you're not fully immersed in the, right. in the storytelling. The but, other thing, yeah. sorry, that I just wanted to add about directing in general mm-hmm. was I recently, I went to see um, Into the Woods at the Amundsen and I'd never hey. seen the play. Mm-hmm. Did you see it? I saw it on Friday. Saw it on Friday. Oh, okay. I saw it like the weekend before yeah. and I had seen the movie and I really hated the movie and I barely, I, I, I got, I barely got through it. I think I, you know, at where the act break of the play is, I think that's where I turned the movie off. And I went to the play and Emily, I don't know how you felt, but I thought it was hysterical. Like I laughed more in that play than I've ever laughed in a play and I, in a musical, right? And I was thinking, well, sorry, maybe Book of Mormon, you know, but I didn't, I didn't go into it thinking this is a comedy. Mm -hmm. And I think the way the director the choices the director made, the choices the actors made, the staging of it, the cow was a puppet that had reactions. <laughs> like there were huge, huge laughs in that theater that I was like, this is incredible. Like I thought mm-hmm. it was incredible. And the people I'd seen it with had seen the play many times. And they were like, this is the best version we've seen of the play. And I have to say, that's the directing, right? Because yeah. it's the same play. The uh, The thing about Into the Woods is... The fact that it ends in such a serious place tricks people into thinking the whole story is very serious. But act one is a comedy. It is just straight up. There's gag lines. Sondheim's lyrics are very playful. You know, there's a lot of room for interpretation for a director and a cast. But like the idea is you should kind of play that. It's a fairy tale. So it should have a whimsical sense of comedy to it. But because it it the second act is a little bit more serious, a lot of people transpose that to everything i think rob marshall did that in the movie Uh, most of the productions i've seen of it have been bad it was a show i didn't really like 
until I saw that Amundsen. I still think it's like, for me, it's one of the lower tier Sondheims, but like, that's also blasphemy. So, but I get, I get why people love it now. Cause that first act when it works makes the second act work so much better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, it's interesting. Cause it's like then that the tension occurs later, but you are, you go into, you know, intermission kind of bubbly and joyful, even though, you know, something's coming, you don't really know what's coming. And then, yeah, again, because I hadn't watched the second half of the movie, I was like, oh, shit, like things are dark. But then obviously that's part of what he's saying, you know, about fairy tales and careful what you wish for and all that. I just, again, I was just blown away by and how little there's like almost no sets. You know, it's just really actors well, acting. I The other thing that I think is worth noting um, as well is the the musical components of this of sister act right of of you know stacy obviously you worked on glee and emily i know you're a a big musical fan and i think that (laughs) i think that this movie does something that um great musicals do which is um break through and and really kind of give you this sense of like anything is possible like great musicals you know part of the problem i think that some people seem to have with musicals i guess is suspense of disbelief like why are people just breaking into song this movie obviously isn't doing that because these are choir pieces and they make sense within the context of the of the movie but it, it this fusion that they're making between musicals and religion this idea that songs mm-hmm. can bring you closer to god if you will or closer to some sort of other level of existence or whatever the case might be um is just really beautiful and really lovely and it, it this i you you mentioned the my god my guy yeah musical scene which is just wonderful because it's so playful and it's cute and it's funny but even the end when they sing i will follow him is i mean honestly like kind of getting goosebumps just thinking about it and i'm not a religious person by any means but this idea that like they found a way to marry these two things together no pun intended um is really wonderful like and and it that's the thing about the back half of this movie that made me see like this is the juice and this is how i can understand why this movie in concert with Whoopi, becomes a sensation um, Mark Shaman, who did the music for this, who's obviously, you know, um, a titan of industry is part of that too. It's also I'm... very, it's also very smart about ending the story on that character stuff. It goes back to the choir in the church after resolving the mob stuff. And I think that that's also weird, mm-hmm. like overlap with honeymoon in Vegas, a whole bunch of people get on a plane and go force it to go to Nevada <laughs> And uh, honestly, weird. honestly, it worked much better here. It did. Also, yeah. there's no world where that many nuns get in that helicopter. <laughs> it was like, wild. It was it was wild because like you see that they're all there's. I, I would argue there's probably twelve or fifteen nuns when they try to kind of guilt this helicopter pilot into flying them to Nevada. Um, then you've got a a, a a medium shot of them looking through the window, and then a shot of 
post-landing, 15 <laughs> nuns just running at... I'm just like, what is going on here? Like but a clown sh- car. It's like it called a nun a helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. It should it have been a stroke. small... It should have been a small, like, one-prop airplane, and then they all should have <laughs> skydived out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and their habits just turned into wings? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just... I want to go back one second to, yes, like, the religion and music. Yeah, I, yeah. I took this course in college. It was, like, music appreciation, and we all took it thinking, you know, it's just an easy pass. But it was actually very difficult, and it started with the history of music, and the history... Mm written music began with Gregorian chants it it begins with religion that's where music like started well, at least right it's music. hymns right yes. I mean I think that that's which which I think is again you know a subtlety be damned I do think that shaman is looking at these hymns and he's finding ways to fold them into gospel music to fold them into rock and roll to kind of find a way to to the confluence of all these things working together and he succeeds wonderfully i mean it is right. all of these things are speaking to each other um it's part of why and i'm glad that we don't actually have this in text but it feels like it's part of why reverend mother who is played by maggie smith is ultimately um taken with all of this and eventually obviously she is our our sort of antagonist and then ultimately gets on on board with dolores's thing is because i think she starts to see the power of these songs right mm-hmm. it's um and i mean even the pope sees it that way i guess um but but i just think that it's just interesting because you know you brought up glee earlier and i i did a um a patreon episode of uh the pilots of glee and the pilot of scream queens and when glee was working and and um, emily you obviously spoke for for you did many many pieces on glee so you you obviously know glee quite well um when all those pieces are working in the planets align there would be a musical sequence in glee that was next tier right like all of this it's all working it's all Mm -hmm. speaking to itself the song is speaking to the relationships and all that kind of stuff that show was just next level when all that stuff worked now when it didn't work it was less successful we'll just say right but but i I, i'm just i'd like to add that i think we also did that in daisy jones and absolutely absolutely but but this is original music in daisy jones correct Um, as a musical Yeah. yeah So but it's, still, uh, it, it's a musical. It's just it's not breaking out into song. But we did, you know, talk a lot about um, there, what what just what it's this one thing. I guess is what I'm. Yeah, about, but right? one like, thing that comes to mind is the um, you know, Aurora, which was like the main song in the book. You know, we talked a lot about how to like plant the song so that it's mm-hmm. it becomes that the viewer starts to know the song. So that by the time you're playing the song at the end, it feels like, oh, yeah, my favorite song sure. without feeling like you're playing it every single episode and, and mm-hmm. you know, getting tired of it. But you had to play it enough that the audience, I don't know, there's just no, but I know I, what you're saying. It's it's, you know, the 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 flip side to that, which I think is also successful is something like that thing you do, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, right. That song is played what feels like a million times in that movie and it always works yes. and you understand why it's this big hit and it's ultimately kind of the, the, the nucleus or the beating heart of that movie. Um, but that song needs to be perfect in order to do that. Right. And that's, you know, incredible. I would also say that in, in a perfect 
a great song or a great concert or a musical event can feel otherworldly or godly Absolutely. when done right. So it makes a lot of, you know, it makes sense to connect it to hymns. It does kind yeah. of take you out of your body in a way. Well, so. it's, I mean, they're, they're, everyone at one point or another in their life has been alone in their car singing a song too loudly. Um, and feeling as though they are connecting with that music in some way and that it's all kind of working. And I think that that's the power of music. It's why I think ultimately it's in Barbie as well. There are musical sequences in Barbie mm -hmm. that are tremendous that, you know, that the, the reverence towards those old school musicals, I keep waiting and it feels like Hollywood keeps kind of fucking it up, but like why the movie musical hasn't, has not come back in a real way continues to surprise me but Emily, Every, you look to give everybody thought 2021 was going to do it like in the heights yeah. yes. uh, which i love and west, west side west side story like uh, people were like these are going to be hits and then they yeah. both flopped yep and it does feel like but it does feel like you know uh, people are i think you have to trick people into watching a musical like the, the the you know barbie it is does have musical numbers but like that's not they're not really selling it on that like you once you see the trailer you know there's shots from it in there but um yeah i uh i have a i have a friend coming so oh 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 is it a is it a little friend there oh. she's she's not feeling well so we're <laughs> we're not going to daycare today so. goes hey. entered. oh sorry We'll no, that's out. okay. A baby, baby. entered the chat. Mm. Oh, hi, baby. Would you look at her? Oh my yeah. god, she loves the screen. I uh, when so you said sweet. the when you said the thing about <laughs> singing in your car too loudly, I've only yeah. done that one time. Only uh, it was Smash okay. Mouth's All Star, and yeah. a car of a car of some other kids pulled up right alongside me. I was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, sitting at a stoplight, singing All Star really loudly, and dancing and a car pulled up next to me and they all looked at me and they laughed and i've never done it since <laughs> i once i mean i've done it many times innumerable times but the, the one time that the, not to all star the one time that uh has always stayed with me um is uh back in high school i was uh, uh I, I went to pick up my friends and so i pulled up to uh to the house and the window was down mm -hmm. and i was singing a song very loudly but you couldn't hear the music. You could only hear me. And they just, they literally walked out of the house and looked at me and they were just, just horrified. Um, and it's just a thing that I'll remember to this day of like, just always roll your windows up. Don't ever have your windows down singing loudly is ultimately my, my takeaway from that. But, but this I is just want to add with yeah. the, wait, I just want to yeah. add with the musicals. When I was watching Barbie, I'm like, this is going to be an amazing Broadway musical. I think they're going to do it. Sure, sure. And In the Heights and, you know, West Side Story, I think we should be able to make a movie musical that wasn't a play. It's a totally different thing. Just start with the thing that yeah. it is. Build it as a movie musical. Don't try to adapt. Well, that's what Moulin Rouge was. I mean, ultimately. Yes. I mean, and I, I love I, that. I, I think that that movie is successful at doing sort of what we're talking about metatextually and all the yeah. things, but, but I, I also think, I mean, listen, I think part of the reason that, that in the Heights and West Side Story didn't do as well is they, they came out in a year where people still yeah. weren't uh, feeling comfortable going to the movies. But even if they were, I don't think those movies would have been hugely successful either way. But I do think that ultimately 
what this movie does really well is we really only have like three songs. I mean, ultimately you've got the opening with them in Nevada. You've got my God and you've got, I will follow him. Those are basically the only, I mean, I'm sure it's kind of cabaret, honestly. Is it right? I mean, I'm, I'm, it is kind like I'm, I, that was, that was a joke, but it is sort of, it is sort of like the musical numbers are diegetic. They are filmed in a different location and like they are used to comment on the action. Thinking about this, it is interesting that the movie musicals that are built from the ground up that tend to be successful are musicals that use other music people are familiar with. Like singing in the rain is that they just took a bunch of songs. People knew and the movie mu- and like then the ones that have original music are like adaptations of Broadway and the best ones I think find a melding of both or heavily rework their source material in some way but like it is very weird that we seem incapable of creating a successful movie musical with original yeah. songs that is not a stage adaptation I don't I don't get it I'm I'm looking at the soundtrack for Sister Act 1 right now um obviously there's there's um, I will follow him. Uh, Dolores and the sisters. There's shout, which I don't believe. Oh, that's that's what's singing over the credits. Um, mm. Is their rendition of shout? I do love that. There is only one uh, original artist, or that I can that I'm seeing on the soundtrack, which is CNC Music Factory, are on this yes, soundtrack. That's for the um, the oh, montage course, when they're cleaning the everything. Just a touch of love is the mm-hmm. is them. Yeah, so it is interesting. Um, it, there's not a ton of music in this movie, and yet it's still kind of a musical. I mean, would it fall under a musical? I mean, the say, sequel is on some list of the best movie musicals ever made, okay, and like its music, its music is even more heavily confined to like a specific part of its it running is. time. It's and it's like kind these... of a glee thing too, right? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, it's like these movies feel the need to like spend an hour being like here's how Whoopi got into this predicament now we're gonna have songs and they should just be like she has to be a nun again now we're gonna sing yeah Yeah. i agree yeah um so let's let's rate this movie shall we emily Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so uh when i saw this in 1992 i I quite liked it i probably would have given it like a 65 um i don't know that i loved it but like i definitely saw it i mean i certainly watched it a bunch of times um I'm up to like a 75 now. I think this movie is like really solid. And after this conversation, I might even get like, I might even go to like a 77 or a 78. Like, I think that this movie, when it's working, it's really working. Um, and even if I might have some some issues with like the first half hour to 45 minutes, I think that the back hour is just so good. And I will follow him rips. I think we should all be listening to that on a regular basis. Um, so that's where I'm at. But uh, how about you, Emily? Where are you? Well, when I saw this in the theaters in 1992, mm-hmm. Indeed, uh, you did. Yeah. I uh, I would have given it a 97. Now, at the time, <laughs> I gave all movies a 99 or a zero, but this movie didn't have her get saved at the end. So you got to take two points off for that. Um, oh, God. Watching it yesterday, I was like, this movie holds up well. Um, it certainly has it certainly has some of the problems that, you know, it, it starts slow. I do think the anonymous direction hurts it a bit, especially in the sure. musical numbers. But, it, you know, the music's fun. Whoopi's great. The cast is terrific. I'm going to go 70, just a straight up 70. That's okay. three. Uh, that's three and a half out of five stars. That feels right to me. I want to say that I do love that punctuing your ratings is your daughter's tiny hand coming into yeah. frame yeah. to pull your hair. Yeah. <laughs> she has a rating what do, too. What yeah. do you think? What's your rating? Oh, 
Oh, yeah. look at oh, that. Oh. Grabbing the mic. Yeah. yeah. You're a born podcaster. So, so Stacy, <laughs> what did what did you think in uh obviously you didn't see this in I didn't see it, so, you, so I don't have so a don't number know. from there. So what, and, what's your pre podcast um, number? Pre podcast, I think I'm gonna say seventy. Okay. And post, I'm gonna say seventy-five. I think I, I went oh, up. Just because the, you know, sometimes I try to look for problems and I don't think there were that many problems. I thought it was kind of a delightful, just goes down easy. You know, I can see why it's not even a guilty pleasure. It's just like a pleasure. I can see it's the type of movie that if it were on, you would just go, oh, hey, this is on. I'm going to keep watching it. Like, it's kind of how I feel about, um like Tropic Thunder or Zoolander certain movies I'll just like sure. oh yeah I can watch this I can just get into this you know I think it's interesting because uh first of all I, I agree and I do think that and Emily I think we've sort of we've discovered this in our covering of comedies from 92 of just sort of the standards were different um audiences weren't as jaded you were kind of given a little bit more rope and a little bit more leeway and I think that if you made this movie today i think people might be put it under a microscope a little bit more in terms of some of the turns of story um but you know uh it works partially because it's whoopee partially because it's 92 the concept is just fun and you kind of go with it i think today it would almost have to be like more heightened like i almost feel like it it would probably be like a Will Ferrell comedy or something like that today. In some Will Ferrell way. should play a nun. That sounds great. <laughs> the I think if this movie were made today, it would just be a ton of discourse around the fact that the Catholic Church covered up, you know, child sexual abuse for yeah, decades. Which is and like, I think yeah. that would be a totally fair line of reasoning. Like that's yes. part of the problem with with making these sorts of comedies now is like, yeah, we're just so much more cognizant of. A, the rest of the world, and B, the ways the rest of the world is terrible. So No, for sure. I, I do, you know, the, the musical thing is interesting as well, because, Emily, we are, we're going to record an episode next week on... Um, extra, extra. Uh, Read music. all about it. <laughs> um, and and which, which is kind of one of the only big... I mean, I guess Aladdin's technically a musical. I mean, it is a musical, mm-hmm. but um newsies was just a big old big swing uh and a whiff back in the day didn't make any money was a big bomb um and has subsequently had a, has a whole cult following now and a musical not, was made on broadway not to yes. spoil my take i don't think it's a very good musical i don't think it works so i no. i listen i look forward to talking about it i don't i mean I, more than anything have you seen newsies stacy no <laughs> I've made many a newsy joke in a script. <laughs> um, sure, sure. Usually based on wardrobe, you know. Sure. It's, it's it's an easy it's an easy one, but I've it's actually never joke. seen it. No. Uh, you know, Emily, not to not to uh, burn any takes before we talk about it on on Mike, but I'll I'll just say that um, I think that, and we'll 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 sort of unpack this in 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 bigger scale when we have Dana Schwartz on to talk about it. But I do think that as a musical, like in terms of the format of a musical, I would agree with you. But I also think that there are some songs in it that absolutely rip that I love, 
that's that's my big problem i don't i i oh. could not hum i've watched that movie three times now i could not tell you what any oh, of the songs I, there are, are some songs that i think are absolutely amazing um that i absolutely love and part of it is because i had the soundtrack as a kid so like i just there's all oh, that yeah, being said yeah. the first time i watched it was 2020 so i'm sure this is if like, you don't yeah if yeah. the songs don't work for you it doesn't work which is car- which comes back to sort of our original point i think a little bit which is that like the greatest musicals the songs have to be incredible like they have to be amazing mm-hmm. um and i think that part of why sister act works is because i think we give a lot of rope to musicals like to the rules of existing inside a musical movie and i think that this movie is kind of adhering to that as well yeah um so i i had uh some problems with barbie a movie i really like but i think has issues but like when they started doing musical numbers i was like yeah this is great we're just gonna do this this sounds perfect i I mean i i think i adored barbie i think it's absolutely wonderful i think that um it is trying to do a lot of things so i think that you know if they all work for you is obviously just you know that's a that's a (laughs) oh oh she's got thoughts she has thoughts on barbie what did you think about barbie yeah hi yeah Hello. <laughs> That's a perfect way to wrap up this episode. Stacy, <laughs> yes. thank you so, so much for coming on to talk about Sister Act with us. And uh, you're welcome. the great thing is that even if you're moving to a new city, I can still force you to get on Zoom and talk with us about movies. So, that is correct. Um, I, I And honestly... I look forward to being a judge. At the uh, film festival in Ben. Yes, exactly. Listen, I want to get on not that list. over my dead body. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't we both do it? Is there only yeah. one judge? No, there's there's so many judges. So we, we could both do it. I could just yeah. sneak in. They won't it's even gonna, know. It's gonna be perfect. <laughs> uh, so thank you so so much, Stacey, for for coming out to talk with us about Anytime. this. And I look forward to talking about many other things in the future with you. So. Yes, me too. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Bye guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.